The following podcast contains advertising. To access an ad-free version of the Lawfare podcast, become a material supporter of Lawfare at patreon.com lawfare. That's patreon.com lawfare. Also, check out Lawfare's other podcast offerings, Rational Security, Chatter, Lawfare No Bull, and The Aftermath. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. All of those issues are going to be magnified. I'm sure there will be other issues as well. But even if we were to limit ourselves just to thinking of the metaverse as Facebook on steroids, and the metaverse will be much more than that. But even if we were to think of it in this limited way, that would be enough to raise huge, huge red flags. Now, I don't think personally, and maybe Quinta disagrees with me, I, I don't think red flags such that we should not pursue it, right? I mean, you know, the history of, of human civilization is the history of the creation of new and more sophisticated technological means of communication. And all of those have their costs and their benefits, but I don't think humanity has ever succeeded in the past, nor do I think it'll ever succeed in the future in coming up with a new form of communication and then not using it. So you know, I think the existence of the metaverse is a completely foregone conclusion at this point. You know, The only question is, can we design it in a way as to minimize the negative effects? And I think we can. I just don't think Facebook as currently constituted is the right entity to, to do that. I'm Jacob Schultz, and this is The Lawfare Podcast. November 3rd, 2021. Last week, Facebook unveiled its new corporate brand, Meta, and its corresponding vision for a new immersive world called the Metaverse. The rebrand announcement attracted plenty of consternation from tech journalists, but there's also plenty of interesting issues about the Metaverse itself. What type of content moderation problems does virtual reality pose? How might we think about the challenges of platform governance in this new age? What aspects of the metaverse are most worth paying attention to? I sat down with Alan Rosenstein and Quinta Jurassic to talk it all through. It's a Lawfare podcast, November 3rd, the metaverse and its discontents. All right, Quinta, get us started. What happened last week? Well, Facebook, of course, continues to be buried under an avalanche of negative press from the series of reporting based on information leaked from Facebook by whistleblower Frances Haugen, which was first called the Facebook Files when it was only the Wall Street Journal. Now it's called the Facebook Papers. There's just a lot of incredibly damaging material in there about the platform's sort of many, many problems people within the platform who were raising concerns about those problems, suggesting how Facebook could fix them. And then Facebook executives essentially saying, thanks, but no thanks. We're going to continue on the path that we're on. In the midst of that, Facebook decided to change its name to Meta, which I'm never going to be able to remember. So I'm just going to continue calling it Facebook. 
But this announcement was sort of built around a very slick, highly produced, like hour and a half long video where Mark Zuckerberg explained that Facebook slash Meta is now pivoting to the metaverse, which is, as far as I can tell, a kind of proprietary suite of virtual reality technologies. Uh, And we can talk about how Facebook is actually kind of a latecomer to some of these, but that, you know, Facebook wants to revolutionize how we understand the internet and connecting with people that the future of the internet and social media is going to be virtual and augmented reality rather than interacting through our screens. The company has all these plans about how amazing it's going to be. And as part of that, it's detaching itself from the Facebook product, which I think internally in the company is called the Blue App, and sort of embracing Meta as a sign that, you know, it's not just Facebook anymore. It's also Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp and whatever they're calling their metaverse products, but also obviously distancing itself uh, from some of the controversy that is sort of roiling around it and doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. So this is clearly something that Facebook has been planning for a while in terms of, you know, focusing its work on the metaverse and on virtual reality. At the same time, I would say that the timing makes it pretty obvious that they're attempting to uh, change the subject a little bit from all the negative press. Yeah, so we'll get to the name change itself in a second. But one thing that I think has gotten a bit of confused reception among people who are paying attention to this, but maybe not paying attention at the level that either of you are is, so there's two separate things happening, right? There's a name change to meta, but that's not the same as the metaverse, which is also the announcement of this sort of new product vision and feature set. Is that right that there's two different things happening here at once? Yeah, that's that's right. So there, there's the Facebook rebranding, which is not fundamentally that important. Um, you know, what Facebook calls itself doesn't, at the end of the day, really matter. What, what is important is the pivot, or to put it differently, Facebook doubling down on some bets it made over the last several years that on the hardware side, technologies like VR headsets and augmented reality glasses, and then on the software side, building out these new metaverse worlds, that that is the future of social media, of web browsing, of connectivity, that that's the really important part. And so, you know, what Facebook ultimately calls its metaverse, I, I think Horizon is the name of at least some of these technologies. It doesn't ultimately matter that much. What matters is the new strategy Facebook is is taking. Yeah, and, and we'll get to to that and the, the issues that it raises in a second. But Quinta, first, I'm curious to hear you talk a bit more about the sort of media circus or the you know, maybe the public relations game theory around the change. I know that's something that you have some thoughts on. So you you mentioned that it it might be perceived as an effort to sort of change the subject here. There's these interviews with Mark Zuckerberg where he, you know, has has said that we've been planning to do this for a while. You know, it's this this isn't something that can happen overnight and an immediate response to criticism, et cetera, et cetera. Bracketing all of that and the sort of, you know, chain of causation here, I'm curious to have you talk a bit about like what is the way in which the name change itself has been received in the context of all of these really, really bad news stories about Facebook breaking, right? Like, how has it been picked up among reporters? I think it's been received with pretty universal 
skepticism. And I think there's a range of views among reporters and commentators about how exciting and new the metaverse and virtual and augmented reality actually are. And we can we can talk about that debate. But in terms of, you know, discussion around how much will this name change actually do, I'm interested to hear Alan's thoughts, but I have not seen anyone suggest that this is actually going to be a particularly effective way to avoid or to change the subject from all the bad press. I mean, basically the instant that Zuckerberg announced that the change was going to be to meta, you saw this flood of tweets from you know, members of Congress saying this name change changes nothing. And, you know, we're still going to be looking into regulating social media. Facebook can't get away with, you know, poisoning the minds of our children. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but that really was the tone. And I think even if you look at sort of mainstream news coverage, like the New York Times of the announcement, I think every story I read had essentially at least a few paragraphs, if not the bulk of the story, explaining why Facebook was doing this seemingly to run away from bad press. There was even a kind of, well, I guess this is a a pun now, but a meta commentary um, where reporters were explaining, you know, why might Facebook want to change its name? The Wall Street Journal ran a story explaining how companies changing their name is a sort of a time-honored tradition of trying to wiggle out of a bad news cycle. So everybody seemed kind of aware of what was going on. And so in that sense, it didn't strike me as particularly successful. It also just really seemed to me to be kind of aggressive and ham-handed in a way that we've sort of come to expect from Facebook. So for a long time, every time that there was a controversy at Facebook, there was this sort of, you know, dog and pony show where Mark Zuckerberg and Sheryl Sandberg would come out and say, you know, we understand, we're sorry, we need to do better. And as of maybe a year, a couple years ago, Facebook has started taking a much more aggressive approach. You know, when something goes wrong, they'll sort of say sorry sometimes, but a lot of the time the response is to hit back at critics and say, you know, you don't appreciate all that we're doing. Their response to uh, Frances Haugen's testimony and the documents that she's released to the press has been focused on attacking her and undermining her credibility and really trying to undercut her in a way that I think it's fair to call uh, reminiscent of Donald Trump a little bit. And so this effort to kind of say, look, we're doing this shiny new thing and you should be amazed by what we can do struck me as kind of not aggressive in the sense of confrontational, but an aggressive attempt to kind of seize control of what was happening and change the subject rather than, you know, what as a as a journalist and as someone who writes about Facebook, I would kind of like to see them do, which is say, you know what, we recognize that we have made serious mistakes here, that there are serious questions about how we've run this company and that we we need to rethink our business model and a lot of the ways we've been doing stuff. And one of the really incredible aspects of the metaverse presentation was this truly bizarre and awkward exchange between Zuckerberg and Nick Clegg, the former British politician and now Facebook sort of political fixer, where Clegg sort of faux calls Zuckerberg within the presentation. They have this little conversation about how, you know, safety within the metaverse is going to be really important. And don't worry, everyone, we're thinking really hard about it and sort of giving a lot of airy 
uh, statements about how much they're they're taking it seriously with no real specifics. And then at the end of it, Zuckerberg literally turns Clegg off. Like he's on a phone, he's video calling in and Zuckerberg turns away from him and switches the device off, which I thought was a pretty striking metaphor for uh, how seriously Facebook seems to be taking the concerns of the people who, who work on making the platform safe. I, I'm perhaps a little less negative on the name change than Quinta is. I mean, I think it makes sense from the perspective of making clear that Facebook, the product is not coterminous with Facebook, the company, which given again, Facebook's ownership of WhatsApp and Instagram is probably a point worth making. And especially as it builds out other products, I mean, really the name for the company should just be Zuckerberg Industries, given how much Zuckerberg controls the company. I mean, he controls it to an unusual extent, even for tech founders. He has a majority of the voting shares. So although Facebook is a public company, it, it operates a little bit more like a kind of quasi-private held company by Zuckerberg. Now, of course, he's not going to call it Zuckerberg Industries. So, so I, you know, I understand why he chose a, a different name. And I also think, you know, it makes sense if they're if they're going to invest a ton of resources in the metaverse, they want that to become synonymous with their company, right? You know, in in the same way that when you tell people to search for something online, you often say Google that, and you really don't care if they Google it or use Bing or I don't know the eight people who still use Bing. And so if, if Zuckerberg can get into people's mind that Facebook or Meta or whatever, or his company provides the kind of fundamental infrastructure for the metaverse, I think that's probably a, a smart move. Now, I, I do think that to Quinta's point, it was the, the timing of this is a little ham fisted and, you know, a name change only works if people don't use that as an opportunity to call out your name change. Otherwise you get a bit of a Streisand effect and, Facebook's problems get even more magnified because everyone sees how transparently they're doing it. But I do think in the long run, the name change makes sense. But but again, although a lot of the kind of journalism and discussion about this is about the name change, that is, I think, the, the least interesting part of the story and, and the substance of the metaverse, um, however it shakes out, is far more important. All right, Alan, let's talk about the metaverse. So you, I gather, subjected yourself to watching the the video announcing the metaverse and, and explaining what is in the metaverse. So give us in some detail, what exactly is the metaverse and what did you see in that cursed video? So let, let, let me say a couple things about the video itself. So the video is an interesting combination of some incredibly impressive technology, some, I think, truly exciting new software uh, developments and kind of new visions for how to interact along with deep uncoolness. <laughs> uh, Facebook is, is to me the kind of the, and I say this as a millennial myself, the kind of quintessential millennial social media platform. It's trying really, really hard and it's just not that cool. And every time it tries to be cool, it just kind of comes across as a real try hard. That, that is certainly a, a limitation of, I think, Facebook's ability to, to sell this. The metaverse, again, is not any one particular thing. I think the best way to think about it as a increasing integration between all sorts of social media experiences in a way that is much more visually immersive. Listeners may be familiar with uh, Second Life, uh, which is kind of an early experiment in this sort of virtual world. There are lots of video games that operate uh, on this premise, video games like Fortnite or Roblox. And so the metaverse is an attempt to take all of that and create a set of experiences in which um, you know, individuals can 
exist as a avatar, right? A, a virtual representation of themselves. And as they go from experience to experience, all the information about that avatar follows them along. And so you have this persistent virtual world that you can dip into and out of at will and what you do in that virtual world persists. Um, so that's the idea of the metaverse. Now, I, I think what's important is that although I think a lot of folks are focusing on the surface presentation of the metaverse, right? The certain kind of cartoonish aspect of the metaverse as Facebook presented it, which a lot of people, myself included, found not in any way compelling um, and kind of creepy in an uncanny valley sort of way. What's far more important is whether Facebook is successful in building out a infrastructure that permits enough creativity for other people to build on top of the metaverse. And so the, the um, uh, analogy that I find helpful is when uh, Steve Jobs introduced the iPhone in the mid 2000s, he introduced something that was on the one hand quite revolutionary, and we all know how smartphones then came to take over the world. But actually, in Jobs's vision was quite limited. You know, when Steve Jobs released the iPhone, he thought what he was doing was taking an MP3 player and a phone and putting them together and didn't think that anyone would want to actually do anything else on an iPhone, which is why the first iPhones, the first iOS operating systems did not really allow third-party apps. And it was only later was he convinced that actually Apple should open that platform to others and the community of developers and users would come up with use cases that Steve Jobs and Apple could never have thought of. And it was really only when that happened that people really understood the possibilities of the iPhone and smartphones took over the world. So I think a similar thing is going to happen with, with, with Facebook. Um, a lot of the experiences that Facebook showed to me were not particularly compelling. And again, were kind of cartoonish in a kind of lame way, to be perfectly honest. And a lot of criticism has focused on that rightly. But it's a mistake to say, well, because Facebook's initial vision for the metaverse is not visually or aesthetically pleasing to me, therefore, the whole thing's not going to work. The real question is, is Facebook going to be able to create the platform upon which other people can create really compelling experiences? And there, I think Facebook absolutely can succeed. Uh, the technology is progressing very quickly and the kind of fundamentals are, are there. Anyone who has experienced virtual reality and for those of you who haven't, I really recommend going to your you know, local VR cafe and spending an hour with some of the high-end VR gear. It's really an amazing experience. And given that this technology exists and that Facebook can put billions and billions and billions of dollars in it over the next several years, I think they will succeed. Now, whether they create a utopia or a dystopia is a different question. So there's a lot to unpack there. I, I think maybe the best place to start, and, and this is something that I've been ambiently wondering myself, is how much of what's going on here is new, right? Like new as a general matter, you mentioned Roblox and these other companies that have already sort of dabbled in this space, but also new to Facebook, right? Like I would assume your experience and the experiences of others, most others with virtual reality is thanks to Oculus, which Facebook owns. Talk to me a bit about what is actually new here, right? Like I think it's a little bit difficult to disentangle that. So so there are a couple of things that are are new, though I, you were right that a lot of this is more about an evolution and a combining of existing technologies and platforms. So part of what's new is some hardware. So Facebook is putting a lot of money into taking VR and AR hardware, and AR is augmented reality. So for example, a pair of glasses that 
you know, show you the, the, the regular world, right? They're just regular glasses, but then they can project certain images on, on top of that. And AR, in fact, is actually much more challenging than VR because all the components have to be much more miniaturized. So part of it is Facebook investing a lot of money in in building out this hardware, which is still in its in its infancy, right? We are still at the kind of early phase of the hardware where every year the improvement is really kind of astronomical. So again, this is sort of like the early days of the smartphones where every year, every new smartphone really was substantially better than the, the previous ones. At some point that levels off and now you know, upgrading smartphones doesn't make a ton of sense, but we are far away from that with uh, metaverse hardware. So, so some of that is that. Another thing that's new or could be new is whether Facebook can build a truly interoperable protocol or platform. So I'm sure we'll talk about this more later. For the metaverse to work, you have to be able to take your avatar and your avatar's assets, right? Everything from the the clothes the avatar is wearing to the, the digital objects the avatar quote unquote owns. And that has to follow the avatar from metaverse experience to metaverse experience, right? Now, Facebook in its presentation talked a lot about interoperability. And what remains to be seen is what that interoperability means. If by interoperability, Facebook simply means that you'll be able to wear the same digital clothing in one Facebook experience as to another Facebook experience, that's not that interesting. However, if Facebook manages to build or develop a, a standard, a protocol that operates both within Facebook experiences and most importantly, non-Facebook experiences, where you can take your avatar and all the digital stuff that avatar owns and move it to something that has nothing to do with Facebook and for that to work seamlessly, that will be truly revolutionary. That will be very impressive. But that raises enormous technical challenges because the amount of information that this protocol has to encode is huge, right? You have to build a protocol that can somehow digitally represent a massive amount of information about the avatar and all the avatar's components. So that, that could potentially be a new thing. And the third thing that's new is just the amount of money you put into the ecosystem. So it, it's true that a lot of the technologies that Facebook is going to be leveraging um, already exist in some form, but they don't exist in a form that is being aggressively pushed by one of the largest companies in the world. And in order to get mass adoption of technology, you often have to drive, you need a push that can drive you over the, the, the kind of commercial viability hump. And, and Facebook and Zuckerberg has committed to spending, I mean, ungodly amounts of money over the next several years on advertising, on developing hardware, on developing platforms, on enticing third-party content creators, on all of this stuff that will, I'm assuming, or that will Zuckerberg, I'm assuming, hopes, get to a critical mass of network effects where the metaverse suddenly takes off and then everyone thinks, oh, I should go get on the metaverse. And then suddenly you have this kind of exponential growth and push it towards mass adoption. I mean, that's certainly, I think, Facebook's hope, whether it pulls it off is, is, is another story. But if it does so, I think that will be qualitatively new. If I can just jump in for one second. So one of the things that I find really interesting here is the the interoperability aspect, because as Ellen says, it's technically incredibly challenging. And I know um, Gene Park, who covers games for the Washington Post, has written a lot about how Epic Games's CEO had a sort of early vision of the metaverse that I think is advanced beyond what Facebook has done so far, uh, as, as far as I understand it, technologically and maybe conceptually, that would actually be interoperable between platforms. So, you know, you could take your Facebook gear and 
use it, you know, while you're playing Fortnite or something like that. But the reason that I'm particularly interested in it is that there's been an increasing sense within people who are interested in sort of platform governance and this question of how do we deal with just how big Facebook is and how unwieldy it is, that interoperability may be a solution to that. So Mike Masnick at TechDirt has written about this. Uh, Corey Doctorow and Daphne Keller also have. The idea being basically through interoperability, you could create some kind of system where, say, leaving Facebook doesn't cut you off from all your friends because you can take your data and interact with your friends and sort of plug it into a different interface and use, you know, that new platform's interface. And then you don't have to deal with a lot of the things that you dislike about Facebook. And this is obviously, uh, the argument is good for users because it means that you're not sort of trapped in Facebook and potentially bad for Facebook or could limit a lot of the aspects that make Facebook so sort of powerful because it means that it's easier for people to leave and that Facebook doesn't have control over all of their data. So there are a lot of, you know, technical problems with that and issues about privacy, which are too uh, intricate to talk about here. But the reason I mention it is just that in that vision, interoperability is truly something that decreases Facebook's power and kind of breaks down the wall around what's called a, a walled garden. So the, the sort of digital environment controlled entirely by Facebook. What's interesting is that, you know, Mark Zuckerberg used the word interoperable a lot in this presentation, but there's this kind of question of, you know, how interoperable is it going to be really, right? Is this a situation where Facebook is actually going to, you know, swing open the doors and allow users to bring their, you know, digital spacesuits into all sorts of different places? Or is this a situation where Facebook is going to build a, you know, a suite that you can carry your digital goods across to? And is this a situation where Facebook wants to kind of get out there and create its footprint so that it has control over the different environments in which users interact and it can kind of maintain its power even in an interoperable system. Uh, so I, I found that interesting, Alan. I don't know if you have any thoughts about how I've phrased that. No, I, I, th I think that's right. I, I think what makes the interoperability question even more interesting is that it, it's not quite as simple as the more interoperable Facebook makes the metaverse, the less power Facebook has. There, there's sort of a sweet spot from Facebook's perspective where it needs to make it interoperable enough that people are willing to invest a lot of time in it knowing that they can take their data elsewhere and also that, you know, regulators back off sufficiently, right? This, this is not the early 2000s when Zuckerberg could, you know, make Facebook in his dorm room at Harvard and then kind of no one noticed that this thing existed until it took over the world, right? We, everyone understands at this point that anything Facebook or Meta or whatever we're going to call the company, that anything they do is going to have huge implications. And so if Zuckerberg wanted to make this a fully closed system, it just wouldn't work because people would be too suspicious of it and rightly so. But as Quinta points out, if it makes it too interoperable, then it potentially cuts off its control. It, you know, isn't able to make it as quote unquote engaging as it would like to be. It obviously uh, limits its uh, revenue generating capabilities. So in the end of the day, what's what's most important is to find that that sweet spot of interoperability. And although Zuckerberg said the word a bunch of times, again, we don't yet know exactly the extent of that interoperability. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. 
From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. All right, so you both have written a piece for Lawfare that, that focuses on more or less the content moderation issues and the, the platform governance issues that the metaverse might raise. And I think the best place to get into that might be, Alan, you, you mentioned that you are a virtual reality veteran and that you have used VR, you, you love VR. I actually think that talking a bit about why you love VR is an, is an interesting way of getting into the sort of issues that VR raises as a content moderation phenomenon. I wouldn't call myself a VR veteran. I'd call myself a a VR curious enthusiast. And I, I actually have kind of complex thoughts about VR. So I, I was someone who really liked video games when I was younger and kind of, you know, put them down as I got older, as many people do. And then uh, heard about this VR thing a few years ago and just kind of on a lark, went to a VR cafe with some friends and was really just blown away by the immersiveness of the experience. It really, I mean, to say that it blew my mind is not an understatement. It was really remarkable. And I actually then consciously decided not to, you know, buy a VR headset because I thought it honestly would be a little too engaging. Um, and I didn't want to be in a position of, you know, having having this thing in my house that was, uh, you know, more engaging in the moment than, than books. And I'd rather do that. So, so on the one hand, I'm a total believer in the possibilities of VR um, and AR to provide really immersive experiences. Now, whether or not it's a good thing to have access to incredibly immersive experiences all the time is a totally different question. So I think from a societal perspective of, is this a good thing or a bad thing? It really depends. Um, it has the potential to be really incredible, to create unbelievable new forms of art, to help people, to be really therapeutic, in some cases, it also has the possibility of being, you know, at best, a mindless distraction and at worst, a truly dystopian nightmare of misinformation, harassment and the like. Um, because, again, it engages so many more of your senses in such a more visceral way. So I, I, I am I am a believer in VR, but I am an am, let's call it ambivalent believer. Why don't you both spell out at a super high level what your concerns are with the sort of content moderation, platform governance issues at play with VR and with the metaverse? And then as we move along, we can sort of tease out the specifics. But I think it, it's probably useful to have you both just on a really high level, give people a sense of what the terrain of concern is for you. Quinta, curious to hear from you first. So before I begin, I do think it's important to say that, you know, this isn't a technology that I think only has downsides. I've been a little more pessimistic than Alan so far in this recording, but 
there are, you know, there are a lot of people I know who have found virtual reality really useful and engaging for sort of staying active in the pandemic. There are a lot of obvious applications of virtual reality for, say, people who are disabled, for whom navigating the offline world has been made really difficult. Um, there's a lot of interesting research about how it could be used in medical settings, for example, to treat people with phantom limb pain. So it's not all downside. That said, I think it's kind of a truism that whatever new development there is with the internet, people will find a way to be horrible on it. And this is not unique to, you know, Web 2.0. This has been true since the earliest days of the internet. We link to a story in our piece, the sort of foundational story about early online multiplayer text-based games where somebody... Uh, essentially hijacked the game and used it to sort of virtually sexually assault a number of players who understood that as an assault and were upset and hurt and sort of psychologically scarred by it. And I've written a lot about how the harms that occur to people in online we should be understood as real harms. And I think that virtual reality, for the same reasons that it's sort of engaging and incredible for all the reasons that Alan identified, kind of takes that and dials it up to 11. There's been some scientific research on how people respond sort of psychologically and physiologically to virtual reality that, you know, your body, if you're put in a stressful situation, like, you know, you're on a balance beam above a deep gorge in virtual reality, your heart will speed up, you'll start sweating, uh, you have the same kind of physiological responses that you would have if you were in that stressful situation in real life. So the kind of the distance that is created when something is only in text or online, which I should emphasize, you know, that that distance doesn't prevent people from being harmed, but the limited distance that there is, is even more wiped away. And so you can imagine if you are attacked, assaulted in virtual reality, you know, if someone pulls out a knife and stabs you in virtual reality, you're not going to be physically hurt, but your body will respond as if you are, and that that could be really, really damaging. And so precisely because of that additional layer of sort of engagement, I think it's it's concerning. And we can talk about this more, but a lot of what makes me concerned about Facebook's presentation is that the Facebook files and the Facebook papers have really shown that Facebook is not a reliable caretaker of this space. There are a lot of people within Facebook who we see in the Facebook papers are really, really trying to push the executives to take these harms seriously and change the product to make things better for its users and just get waved away. And so the, you know, three minute exchange between Zuckerberg and Nick Clegg, where they sort of wave their arms and say, oh, well, you know, we're thinking about this really hard, did not make me feel like there was quite enough on Facebook's side of thinking about how they're really going to need to be innovative, to scale their content moderation, to start listening to people who work on the sort of trust and safety aspect of the platform. And all of that left me really concerned. Yeah, I mean, Quint is absolutely right. Just take every problem that Facebook is currently experiencing and increase it by several orders of magnitude and you have the challenges it faces in the metaverse. And there's no indication that Facebook has figured out how to deal with its current problems, let alone its future ones. So hold on, though. You, you two are saying two things that I think are, are similar, but are maybe a little bit different or, or two aspects of the problem. So 
what I hear Quinta describing is is a whole new universe of, of qualitatively different content moderation problems brought on by the the things that VR makes possible, right? Like VR can create a world of possibilities that is literally inaccessible in two dimensions. And Alan, it, the, sort of the way that you phrase that is like, you know, you're just ratcheting up everything that's already going wrong on the platform, right? Like it's it's this space where existing problems are amplified because of that immersiveness, because of, you know, the way that it's it's engaging to to users who who participate in it. And I'm curious to hear either of you sort of disentangle the things that have you most concerned, are they sort of more amplified versions of existing problems on 2D Facebook or are the things that that really, you know, to the extent that any of this keeps you up at night, keeps you up at night are, are the things that are novel, uncharted territory specific to VR? Yeah, I mean, with, with, without going full Rumsfeld and talking about known unknowns and unknown unknowns, I mean, there, there's no question. Um, there's no, there's no, there's no question that there's a lot of stuff we don't know that's going to come up that we're going to have to deal with. If if we knew what were going to be the new issues on the metaverse, we could actually have a conversation about them. So, I mean, I'm I'm always open to the possibility that there's going to be new and even more horrifying stuff we're going to have to deal with. But I I think you don't need to go off and to make these crazy hypotheticals about the dangers of the metaverse, because you can just take all the stuff that is currently very problematic on Facebook and imagine just a worse version of that. And even that is immensely challenging, right? So all of the problems that we currently have on Facebook, whether it's content that exists that is harmful to people or content that is taken down and the taking down of the content is harmful to people, whether it's the difficulty of trying to come up with one moderation system that works across national boundaries, linguistic boundaries, cultural boundaries, right? Whether it's the the issues of addiction uh, or of other kind of psychological distress, all of those issues are going to be magnified. I'm sure there will be other issues as well. But even if we were to limit ourselves just to thinking of the metaverse as Facebook on steroids, and the metaverse will be much more than that. But even if we were to think of it in this limited way, that would be enough to raise huge, huge red flags. Now, I don't think personally, and maybe Quinta, Quinta disagrees with me, I, I don't think red flags such that we should not pursue it, right? I mean, you know, the history of, of human civilization is the history of the creation of new and more sophisticated technological means of communication. And all of those have their costs and their benefits, but I don't think humanity has ever succeeded in the past, nor do I think it'll ever succeed in the future in coming up with a new form of communication and then not using it. So, you know, I think the existence of the metaverse is a completely foregone conclusion at this point. You know, the only question is, can we design it in a way as to minimize the negative effects? And I think we can. I just don't think Facebook is currently constituted as the right entity to, to do that. Yeah, I think that, I mean, Jacob, what, what you're identifying in the kind of slippage and what I was saying between whether this is different in degree or different in kind, I don't know, right? And I think one good example, Ethan Zuckerman had a good piece in The Atlantic where he is uh, quite skeptical of the metaverse, more more so than I am, but useful read, where he points out, you know, so one of the things we learned from the Facebook files is that Facebook has sort of systematically underinvested in content moderation in languages in what the platform calls rest of world. So basically not the West, such that because of the specifics of Arabic dialects, it can only block uh, 6% of hate speech in Arabic. So the number is much, much, much higher in English. It's not perfect, but it's much higher. So 
Ethan's point is, okay, so how will a company that can, and I'm quoting, how can a company that can block only 6% of Arabic language hate content deal with dangerous speech when it's worn on an avatar's t-shirt or revealed at the end of a virtual fireworks display? And I think that's a really good way of phrasing it. And I think it kind of gets to how this is maybe, I don't know, both difference and kind or one or the other, but I think it, it leads you to a similar place where the problem, the underlying problem is the same, right? How do we moderate hate speech? The form that it takes might be different. It could show up on a t-shirt. It could show up in a fireworks display. It could show up in all kinds of ways that I haven't even thought about yet. But the underlying sort of substantive issue, which is that people are going to find ways to be horrible on this platform and Facebook seems to not be sufficiently interested in stopping them from doing that, I think is easy to conceptualize from the get-go. The question is just what specific manifestations it takes, if that makes sense. And just to follow up on that, I, I think it's not only a matter of Facebook not being sufficiently invested in that, though that may very well be true. It's that content moderating in the metaverse does require a level of privacy intrusion that's actually much farther beyond even potentially what exists currently, right? Yeah, so absolutely. take the examples Quinta just just offered, you know, hate speech that's written on a virtual t-shirt, or, you know, I can imagine an avatar making a particular sign with their digital hands that is interpreted by some to be a, a type of, of harassing content. So in order for moderation to happen at scale, right, you have to have both an enormous number of individuals monitoring all of these virtual spaces, as well as probably a bunch of automated tools doing this. But that means that there is inevitably a trade-off between content moderation and privacy because it requires, it would require Facebook to monitor everything that is going inside of its own metaverse. Now, again, maybe that trade-off is okay, but when you then combine it with the fact that Facebook itself is a giant for-profit company that does not have much of an incentive to respect user privacy, you see another problem with trying to create a digital world and building it inside of a private for-profit company. Um, and again, this is why, again, Facebook's promises to build out open standards and interoperability and protocols is so important. And because only if it does so, to an extent that I would be very surprised that any private company would do, given the profit incentives, will we have any chance of dealing with all of these difficult trade-offs in a way that doesn't just trash user privacy in the process? So you both hinted at, at Facebook has, in varying degrees of specificity, has spelled out what it plans to do to you know, preempt these problems, to, to sort of get, get on top of them before they, they get very bad in the metaverse. Quinta, give us a, a bit of a survey of, of what we know so far about how Facebook plans to address these issues, both based on public reporting and, and based on what executives at the company have said themselves. So I actually don't think we have very much in the way of specifics. Facebook, they did, you know, sort of indicate that, you know, they want to give users a sense of how things are going to work. They want to give users a sense of what kind of things they're going to be doing. But one of the interesting things about the exchange between Clegg and Zuckerberg is that 
And they essentially said, well, the great thing about the metaverse is that we have such a long lead time because this is there's actually going to be a really long time before this is sort of ready in the way that we've presented it. Um, so we're going to have a lot of time to figure out how this works. And beyond that, there weren't that many specifics. So that at least seems sort of an implicit promise to provide more details as things develop. I don't know if they'll follow up on that promise. It It is notable that um, one of the the recent actions that Facebook took under the new name Meta was launching a, a global mentorship program uh, in partnership with the Pointer Institute's International Fact-Checking Network for debunking misinformation. So the company wearing its its new hat, its new name, is clearly trying to show you know that misinformation is something that it cares about. But I don't know if that's specific to the Meta part of Meta or if that's sort of across all of these these different platforms. So it's kind of hard to say. And my big question is whether, I mean, I'm kind of being a broken record on this, but whether Facebook or Meta, whatever we're calling it, will give the folks on the integrity teams more of a say in sort of how this is rolled out. Because again, one of the big things that we see in the Facebook papers is just those folks not being listened to. So to wrap up, I'm curious to hear from both of you which aspect of this you're going to be paying the closest attention to, right? Like what are the what are the signals or the, you know, the announcements that you might put the most weight in particularly in terms of these content moderation issues? Alan, you're first. Sure. So in my capacity as someone who likes tech and finds it really interesting, I think the hardware stuff is going to be the most fun to learn about. In my capacity as a law professor and someone who thinks about this for a living, I think by far the most important issue is what interoperability ends up meaning. So the details of the APIs that Facebook builds to allow access to the metaverse, the kind of underlying data model of avatars and assets in the in the metaverse, the server infrastructure, all of that to me is going to be the most important thing. Because if I think unless Facebook builds a system in which you know it can be a dominant player because it can invest a lot of money and create really cool experiences and sell ads on those experiences, which is all totally fine. But fundamentally, it builds a platform that is then fully decentralized and anyone can use. And anyone can use in a way that at the end of the day takes business away from Facebook. Unless it does that, we're going to end up with something that down the, down the road is just going to replicate and massively magnify all the problems that Facebook is currently experiencing. Quinta? So I think it's easy to kind of do Facebook journalism by waiting for something bad to inevitably happen on Facebook and then sort of point it out and say, aha, they've done this wrong. And I know, I think Joe Bernstein at BuzzFeed has called this hall monitor journalism or, or traffic cop journalism. And there there is a place for that, to be clear. But I think it, it can tend to kind of miss the forest of, for the trees. So I'm going to do my best to channel Evelyn Duak here, who I co-host the Arbiters of Truth series with on Lawfare, and say that the thing that I'm really interested in is something that I know Evelyn is writing about, which is how the sort of the broader systems of content moderation that Facebook is using change or don't change. And what I mean by that is not, you know, how does the platform deal with this or that specific instance, you know, a user making, as Alan says, a hand signal that could be interpreted as racist or harassing or something like that, but also 
how are they scaling their existing networks of content moderation to approach the metaverse once they get to the point where the metaverse is something that can, you know, be used by a lot of people in such a way that content moderation is required? How are they developing new policies? Is the Facebook oversight board, or I guess maybe the the meta oversight board, going to be involved? And if so, how aggressive is it going to understand its role? Because it's been pretty aggressive in understanding that so far, which, again, Evelyn has has also written about. Um, so sort of taking a step back, looking at it at, at a more systemic level, and I think that that is, to my mind, the thing that is going to give us the best picture of what direction we should expect to see from the platform, whether this is going to be another instance of Facebook kind of tromping around, expanding into a new area, and maybe not fully thinking through the challenges of that expansion, or whether this is something where they're developing their integrity and content moderation efforts at the speed that they really need to to match the expansion. So I'm not optimistic that it will be the latter, but you know, fingers crossed. I personally am very excited to see the meta Facebook Supreme Court building. I think they should they should really go all out. Oh, it's going to be awesome. Yes. It's going to be great. Justice Rosenstein with his avatar. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you both for coming on today. That is all the time we have. The Lawfare Podcast is produced in cooperation with the Brookings Institution. Your audio engineer this week was Kara Schillen of Goat Rodeo. Your music is performed, as always, by Sophia Yan, and the podcast is edited and produced by Jen Patiahau. Please consider becoming a Lawfare material supporter on our Patreon page. Through that, you'll get access to our ad-free podcast feed, along with special features like access to live events. If you feel so inclined, please rate and review the Lawfare podcast if you use a podcast service that allows you to do so. As always, thanks so much for listening. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.